start, left off last week. And we're going to start in Revelations 1, 19, where it says, Jesus has appeared unto John, and that is one of the things that takes place. And when he appears unto John in Revelations 1, 9 through 20, this is the time period that he refers to right here. And Jesus begins to reveal to John the book of Revelations. So the first part that we pick up is from uh, Revelations 1 down through 9, and that has to do with the identity of Christ that says that uh, he has been risen, he's been dead, and he reaffirms that through the vision. But at the first part from verse 1 down through 9, and it reveals unto us also that at the resurrection of Christ that there is a new identity given to the church. And so we need to realize that there are two identities that take place, the resurrected Christ and the resurrected church or the redeemed church. So that is what takes place in this first time frame right here. And we're starting in verse 19 tonight to talk about some things and reiterate some things. All right, first, uh, Revelations 1, 9, write the, the things which thou hast seen. The first part of that is what thou hast seen is who Christ is as well as who the church has become. So let's go over Revelations chapter 1 and verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 9. And it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, John the Revelator, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Now realize when John's writing this, shortly. So we sometimes think, oh, a hundred years. No, no, that's, that's real shortly. But we think that that's a long time. It's not a long time. It's a short time compared to eternity. And it says, show his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear, hear or have heard the words of, the, of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. You aren't blessed just as you hear. You are blessed when you hear and do. And it says this, John, to the seven churches, to the seven churches, who, which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him who is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, whom is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of all the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and, want, and washes us from all of our sins in his own blood, who hath made us kings and priests unto God and the Father, and to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him in all kindred of the earth shall wail because of him." Even so, amen. Now, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending, and the Lord which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, remember that the first uh, part of this is the things which John has seen. Now, John has seen them in proportion that he was there on the uh, road of Damascus. He saw him. He was confirmed that he had been raised from the dead at the tomb. But when Jesus appears, what thou hast seen, what does he see? He sees that Jesus again is the resurrection. He that was and is and is to come. 
he is confirming that Jesus is in the three vital uh, time frames of God. What are they? They are those that he is he that was, which was the Christ, which lived the sinless life, born of a virgin, that died on the cross, that was entombed and raised from the dead three days. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is he which was. He was the Lord and he was the Christ. He was the crucified. He was the resurrected. And then it says, he which is, talks about who Jesus is today. He is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, which divinely connects him to who we are. We have been made kings and priests unto our God. So John sees what thou hast seen. He has seen the identity of Christ verifying that what he's about to say is God and directed of the Almighty. Secondly, he sees who we, the church, are in the eyes of God. We are the washed in his blood. Hallelujah. And don't ever forget that we are washed in the blood of Christ. Stop trying to figure out or stop worrying about your past and your past sins because in the eyes of God, in the books of history recorded in your life and in reality, there are no sins that you have repented of that are remembered by God. Therefore, if you don't remember them, then the devil can't use them. See, if you remember them or the devil uses them or other people remember them, they're always going to be a hindrance to you. But if you will allow the blood of Christ to have its full impact on your life, then what you're going to end up doing is this. You're going to end up realizing you might not be perfect, but you are without sin, you are without reproof, and you are without rebuke in this world, not when you get to heaven, but now, but now. So Jesus reveals who he was and who the church is. The second thing that he begins to talk to John the Revelator about is things which are. These are the seven churches. Now, the re uh, revelation of the seven churches are in found in chapter 2 and 3. This is known as the church age. We are in the church age right now. These are the things which are. These are the time frames. This is the time frame. Well, what time frame would that be, Pastor? The time frame of the seven churches. We discussed this uh, several months ago. The seven churches are a time that Jesus is unveiling things to seven churches, his body that he has purchased, and he is revealing to them, even though they are the redeemed, they have allowed sin to creep in, whether it's because of a lack of awareness, a lack of truth, or a lack of knowledge, a lack of sensitivity to the Holy Ghost, or if they just openly invited sin, we really don't know except what Jesus says in the Scriptures in two, chapter 2 and 3 of Revelations. It does say that they have allowed sin. They have allowed people to teach sin. They have allowed people that have lifted up. They have allowed things to come into the church that should not be there. Now, Jesus, during this time frame, the things which are. See, Jesus doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants to take us to where we need to be. He wants to take us from a place where we need to be purified to a place where there is a reward for the purification. And so we have to realize this time frame right here is in Revelations 2 and 3. It is the time frame of the seven churches. If you haven't got that, there is a, a series out there, the seven churches you need to get and you need to listen to it. And it'll show you the seven uh, churches, how the sin is revealed in each of those churches. Now you say, but do I have all of them? You may have all of them. I don't know. You may have none of them. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus is bringing judgment to the church 
by the Spirit of the Lord so that we will not be judged by the world. See, the world's judgment doesn't take place there. The world's judgment takes place here. It is where there is a great throne, white throne judgment, and that's where sinners are judged. But the church in this time frame that Jesus has positioned us now is here, things which are right now, the church is to be in a place of judgment. We are to allow ourselves to be judged by the word of God and to be judged by the spirit of the Lord. And in this judgment, not only are we judged through the word and through the spirit, but we are judged to the point that we will separate ourselves from the old man and put on the new. We begin to get prepared. Why? You remember the great story of the ten virgins. Five of them had oil. Five of them did not. Five of them had prepared themselves to meet the bridegroom. When does a bridegroom meet Christ and the bride? They are united here in what we call the rapture that we'll talk about in just a moment. The bridegroom is here, the bride is here right now preparing itself. One is filling itself up with oil. One is looking and examining itself. I don't have enough. I need to replace. There's something that's crept in, stolen my oil, stolen my anointing, stolen the influence of the Holy Ghost in my life. I need to rekindle that so that the world can see my light and that when Jesus comes, he will see me as being a part of his. See, when people are judged, if they have not judged themselves and walk rightly before the Lord, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. In other words, there's nothing like in you of who I am. In other words, when these oils of our lamp go out, we become blind to the things of God. And we become lazy. We become negligent. We just think that life is just going to be status quo. No matter what we do, it's going to be okay. But it does matter what you do in life because the Bible says at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to receive of the things done in this body and out of this body, we are accountable for what we do, what we don't do, what we are living in and what we refuse to live in. That takes place right here. The Holy Ghost is working in the church today through the Word as well as through His Spirit uh, through personal conviction. See, there are things in the Bible that... Uh, will quicken our heart, that will challenge us as believers not to do. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, the Lord uh, just asked me to give up pop for five years. What is that? That's a personal conviction now. That is God asking you to come into a personal vow with him. But there is a thing of personal conviction found in Romans, the 13th chapter, that says one can eat uh, meat and one can eat uh, uh, herbs or herbs, uh, I was going to say one could eat grass, but really one could eat meat and one could not eat meat. In other words, there are things that God requires of one person and not of another. Now, they are not in places that we judge people by what God has done for us or is doing with us through our personal convictions. So we can't judge people based on that. Everybody belongs to God and God is the personal judgment of every man's life. So, this is where you and I are today. You and I, as a church, as believers, are right here. We are in chapters 2 and 3. This is where we are looking at ourselves. This is where we are filling our lamps with oil, or we are letting them be drained by the world. You are either going to ignite your light and they're going to see Christ or you're going to let your light go out and not only are they not going to see Christ, Christ is not going to see you. Now, this is the seven churches. This is the church age. What is happening taking place right now 
is that you and I are being judged by God. We are to judge ourselves that we might not be judged with the world. But here it tells us that we, right now, are being informed of Christ that there are things in our life that he is not pleased with. Since he is not pleased with them, we must rid ourselves of them. So we see in the time or the time that is now, the present age, the church age, that we have been given direction by Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Remember the Bible says that we are not to judge another man's servant. Well, we are servants of Jesus Christ. And Jesus looks at us, and when he looks at the seven churches in this time period right now, this time period right now, what he is doing is cleaning our lives up. He is purifying and trimming our wicks. He is working with us, not against us. He's working with us so that we may be prepared to this time frame that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But this is imperative and important that you realize that Jesus himself told each one of these churches that if this sin is not dealt with, that he's going to cast it away. He's going to uh, count them as those that are not overcomers, those that have failed the race, those that have not completed the faith, those that have not kept the faith, and he is then going to do several things, cast them off, spew them out of their mouths, uh, out of his mouth, whatever terminology he uses, the seven churches, which is a representative of the fullness of God, of the fullness of the time frame, this church age right here is where you and I are. And he warns us, prepare to meet God. And he tells us from verses, from chapters 2 to 3, and then he goes into chapters 4 and 5, a short time. Two chapters compared to 22 chapters in the book of Revelations. Two is short. And so we see here that you and I, you and I as the church, this is our time. It is our time to labor for the Lord. It is our time to be prepared for the Lord. It is our time to uh, be changed into the image of the Lord. But it is done by God's Word, by God's Word and by His Spirit. And if you've made vows or if you have personal convictions, please honor those vows, fill those vows, and fulfill those personal convictions. Let them be your lead, your guide. Hallelujah. So when this time frame is over, we immediately have a divine declaration or a divine act that takes place that ends the time frame where Jesus is dealing with the church. Remember here the vision, the identity of Christ Jesus, the affirmation of who he is, then the identity of the church because of Christ. Therefore, it brings us into the church age. Now we are owned by Christ. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. He sanctified or purged us by the blood of the Lamb. Now this takes place to prepare us for this, this right here. Now, there are three things that take place in Revelations up to the rapture of the church. The vision, those things which are, and this act right here. Three of them. Now, when we look at what Jesus is preparing us for, it is preparing for us to be caught away or to be raptured. So, we want to talk about the rapture for a couple of moments because... They told me I went a little fast. What is the rapture? The rapture is an event, an event that takes place. It is not the second coming of Christ. It is not the second advent of Christ. This is where Jesus will come. 
Now, he will come the second time as he came the first time. He will come and actually touch the earth. He will be a part of the earth. He will be here for a thousand years. It's called the thousand-year reign of Christ. It's called the millennium. And it, for this thousand years, Jesus will be on planet earth before another event takes place. But this right here is the preparation. From chapter 3, we go into chapter 4 and 5. This tells of a heavenly vision. And right after that heavenly vision, this rapture of the church takes place. The rapture of the church takes place. This is extremely important to our faith. Some people, I talk to people all the time, and, and, and they tell me that they've never heard of the rapture, or, oh, really, is that in the Bible? And they're from Pentecostal churches. They're from charismatic churches. They're from churches that are living in the world that we live in right now. They are denominational churches, foundational churches, but they have never, ever heard about the rapture of the church. Now remember that God is preparing a people to be prepared for this moment. If this time frame is not obeyed and judgment is not carried out, what will happen is this. You will be left. You will not go in this advent. And if you do not go here, you will go through this and you will go through this time period right here. Now, you may accept Jesus Christ, but if you can't live for Jesus in the good times, how will you live for him in the bad times? The question is, if you can live with him now, then let him have his reign and work on you so that this is completed. This time of judgment is completed for the time of preparation for this, the resurrection of the saints or the rapture of the church. Remember, if you miss that, you then enter into this time frame right here. This time frame from Revelation 7 down here to this Revela Revelations 2015, understand that there is going to be tribulation, there is going to be outpourings of God's wrath, there are going to be, the, it's going to be the great tribulation, but if you do not go there, you'll have to go through this, and you may not survive that. Oh, yes, I can. Oh, please. If you can't make it now, you won't make it then. If you're offended now, you're going to be flat out ran over then. If you cannot love now, you are going to be filled with hate through that time frame. If you cannot stand up and take a stand for God and live holy now, you will not live holy in this time frame. If you can't live for him, I'm telling you, you will not die for him. Yes, hallelujah. I'm glad that you're all in agreement, praise God. So we realize that we are in this age, a time of judgment. The judgment of the Lord hath begun in the house of the Lord. How has it begun? As soon as we started reading scriptures in Revelation, the time of judgment has begun. And we as a church have stepped into that age because we have seen the requirements and the demands of God for his church. In this time frame of preparation, we are judged. And then we come into this time frame called the rapture. This takes place at the end or during chapter 4 and 5. Chapter 4 and 5. Right here, after 2 and 3 comes 4 and 5. This is a heavenly vision of what is going to take place. And then this event takes place. 
Now, this is called the rapture. Now, let me show you why it is so important. It's found in 2 Timothy. If you go to 2 Timothy 2, 18. Sometimes we think that, well, it's just the major things. It is a major thing. The rapture is a major event. It includes all of those that have allowed the Lord to perfect and present them as an offering unto the Lord without spot or blemish. It is a time frame, as it were, of reward. And in that rapture, this catching away, is one of the great foundations of our faith. 2 Timothy 2.18. Hallelujah. And it says this, Who concerning the truth, having erred, saying that the resurrection is already or is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Overthrow the faith of some. What does the rapture contain? It contains two types of people. Those that have died and are a part of the graves of those that have died before Jesus comes back to receive his church. This is known as the day of the Lord. It is known as the day of the Lord in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, down through 3. The day of the Lord is known as the day of resurrection or is known as the rapture of the church. There are two types of people that are involved in the rapture. Those that have died in Christ in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verse thir uh, 13 on down. If I could have that on the screen. Second, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. These are the saints or Christians that have died, fell asleep in Christ. It says that when Jesus returns, he is going to return right here, and, but he's going to return with those that have died before him. It says, so I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. You know, sometimes I, I, I preach funerals, and I would love to preach a funeral just without limitation. I mean, just tell everybody in the place, we are not preaching about a lost man or a woman. We are preaching about a redeemed man or woman, and just have at it and preach, praise God, and be rejoiceful and celebrative. Really, really, really celebrate somebody's life because once we die, it is the end of a race, it is the end of the fight of faith, and it is the receiving of the crown for those that have lived for Christ Jesus. Yea, and not only for me, but all those that will live godly has that same end as Paul did. And so we have to understand that the rapture takes place. Now let's look up at verse 4, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. And it says these words. There it is. And it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which are asleep, or those that are died, those that are dead, in Jesus will God bring with him. Next verse. And it says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, not by some inspiration, not by some good thinking, not some traditional way. No, no, this is the word, the living word of God. And it says, This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive, and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And then it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. That's where Jesus is. And guess what? That's where the saints are. And the shout with the voice of, tri of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Next verse. And then we which are alive shall remain, 
shall be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord, and we shall be with the Lord. And then it says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, who's going on? Who's going in the rapture? The saints that have died or that are asleep with Jesus. Now, where are they? They are in heaven. They're in heaven because that's where Jesus is. And so Jesus comes. He comes from the clouds. He does not and is not seen by men. The church does not see him. They hear the voice of the archangel and the sound of a trumpet. And so then we are translated. But first of all, Jesus comes. And who's he got with him? He's got with him all of the dead saints. Everybody that has died since Jesus Christ has been preached to be the Savior of the world. What about the Old Testament saints? Well, they are in heaven. Because the Bible says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that the tombs of the old saints were opened up and many of the saints were physically with a human eye seen walking the streets. And so they went to heaven when their dwelling place of paradise was taken to heaven and became a part of heaven. So paradise is now in heaven and heaven is paradise. You find that in uh, 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse 1 down through 5, where Paul said, I, will, I knew a man that was caught up to paradise. We know that he went to the third heaven. So paradise, where Abraham and Lazarus and, and David and, and uh, Samuel and all of the prophets were, they are now out of that and they are now in heaven. But the point I want to make is that when Jesus comes here, when he's coming with his, when he's coming back, remember, he doesn't touch the earth. So it's not a second coming. It is not uh, the uh, ascension of Christ. Here, the descension of Christ. Here, it is where he comes to the air. The world does not see him. But when he comes to judge the world, his second coming, they do see him. They do see him. But not when he catches the church or comes back for his bride. So who is involved in his bride and who is involved in this? First of all, all the dead in Christ. All of the saints are with him. Don't cry for mama. Don't cry for little junior. Don't cry for those that, that have went before us. Why? Because they are where we want to be. Hallelujah. Amen. It should be a rejoicing. Weep when your children are born and, and uh, rejoice when they die. Why? Because they finished the race. They kept the faith. There's nothing to cry about. Hallelujah. And I know that we go through the emotional thing and all that. That's the outward man. But it's not the inward, born again, redeemed, renewed mind man. Hallelujah. We cannot allow grief to rule us. Praise God. We have to rule grief. And we have to glorify God that he has made a place for those that die in the battle, the soldiers of the cross retiring. And then when the Jesus comes here, the saints then depart from Jesus. They are in the earth and they are raised from the dead first. This is the saints and then this is the resurrected saints. And when the resurrected saints come up out of the ground, the saints of God which are alive and remain, you and I, are caught up with those right now that have been translated in their glorified bodies. You and I receive our glorified body when the rapture takes place and we meet the saints here. The old man falls off and the new man, the glorified man, the, the uh, uh, body that has been changed now, 
to wit the redemption of our body is now complete. We are glorified. We have a new body. We are clothed with the temple from on high. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7 says, and hallelujah, we've groaned, we've labored, we've mourned, we've wept for this time right now. But now it takes place. We are resurrected. Our old man falls away. Sin has been conquered. The grave has been conquered. And victory is ours in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so now we, as the saints, their old body now corrupted, has now been uh, uh, glorified, and it's brought up. And yes, it is the same body just as Jesus' body was glorified. His old body wasn't found in dust and neither will one particle of a dead saint be left on planet earth because God has come to take them home and we will be joined with these saints. They'll have glorified body and when we meet them, praise God, we'll be glorified and we will call, be caught up in the Lord to be with the Lord evermore. Now, we have to understand again, when I read out of 2 Timothy 2.18, listen, the rapture of the church is a foundational place of hope for the believer. We cannot underestimate nor take the power out of the rapture of the church. We cannot do it. Hallelujah. The rapture of the church. Hallelujah. What a great day. Remember, that is known as the rapture of the church. It's known as the time of resurrection for the saints. And then it's known as the day of the redemption to wit of our human body. And that's found in Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 12, 13, and 14, I believe. And so, it is known as the day of resurrection. It is known as the day of the Lord. And it is known as the rapture or the catching away or Christ receiving his bride. Hallelujah. It is the day of the fullness of our reconciliation with Christ. Hallelujah. It's a day of celebration. It will be a day of celebration. Hallelujah. Now, let's go over to Mark, uh, the 13th chapter, and verse 9 through 37. And I know that it's a lot of Scripture, but it is something that we need to look at. It's something that we need to hear. It's Mark, the 13th chapter. Hallelujah. And verse 9 through 37. Man, I tell you, oh, glory to God. Now, God does not want us to enter into this period. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, no, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says that God has not appointed us under wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. I'm going to read that here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 Lick the wrong finger. And it says this. For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God has not prepared us, nor has he worked with us to miss this. This is what God has ordained us for, the rapture. Now, if we do not obey God in these seven things, the seven churches, somebody says, oh, you're scaring me. Would be to God that everybody would get fearful enough that they would realize that hell is real, this is real, and so is this, and that God is involved in your life right now, or he will judge it in, in chapters, uh, Revelations 20, 21 and 22. Now, God is preparing us because he wants us to go right here. God has not appointed, he has not created us to be a part of this right here. 
he has, part, he has imparted or empowered us to be a part, gave his son, that you and I might be saved right here through the rapture of the church. If you come into this time frame, it is upon your own fruition, your own disobedience, but it'll not be because of a lack of God's influence into your life. Then we see in uh, Romans, the fifth chapter, Romans, the fifth chapter, and verse 9. I love this. I love the Bible. Praise God. Romans 5, 9. Romans 5, 9 says this. Ooh, what a great thing he says. Much more than being now justified by his blood. That's you and I. If you're a Christian today, you're justified. And if you're not a Christian, at the end of this service, you should become one. But it says that those being now justified by his blood, hallelujah, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God consists, chapter, Revelations chapter 7, clear down through Revelations, the 20th chapter. What does it talk about? talks about all of these things taking place as a part of judgment, you would think, good night, you would think that, you know, a third of the earth being destroyed. You would think that uh, all of the green and all of the grass would be destroyed. You think all of the water being dried up would be enough. Oh, no, no. Listen, sin is taking you further than you want to go, and it's going to extract from you something that you did not want to pay. You're going to live through these seven years, and even if you die in it, you're going to show up right here at the end of it where the church stands before God, the great, I mean, the the unredeemed stand before the great white throne judgment and you're going to be judged and hell, which is terrible, is going to be cast into the lake of fire. The lesser will be consumed by the greater. And I want to tell you something, it's not going to be a place that you want to go, but first Thess in Romans 5, 8 says what? It says that much more than being justified by his blood, you and I shall be saved, saved, delivered from the wrath of God. When does the wrath of God start? When his bride is taken away, when the church is caught up, then wrath begins to be poured out. And here in Revelation, the 20th chapter, it begins to reveal that not only has it begun to be poured out, but now it is executed at the great white throne judgment. But God justified us that we might be saved from all of that. Saved from all of that. And I beseech you, prepare to meet God. Prepare. Stop petty lust and, and desires that are futile and incorruptible and short-lived. Stop. Look at your life. Some of you have so much and all you can think of is getting more, 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 being greater, greater. Greed, greed, greed. Stop. God wants you to work and be blessed, but he doesn't want you to work and be bound. God gives you time so you can serve him and live for him. He gives you time that you can use your skill, use your purpose, use your talent. Stop trying to get more of something you don't need. How much is enough? Hallelujah. Some of the retirees in our church, they, they work all their life to retire. Then when they retire, they retire from Jesus. They stop working for him. They stop attending church. They stop being faithful. They stop being involved in outreaches. It's like you just enter into a living death. Not time to enter into a living death. And some we have professionals in our church, and thank God, God for people that are blessed, but they use their profession and all they think of is more, 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 bigger, 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 bigger. How much is success do you want? You should be successful to provide for your family. Be successful enough that you can take time and spend with your family. 
Don't ever replace your responsibility to your family because you want to be greater, more, bigger, better, more noticeable, more noted. If I could have a dime if for every person that has regretted right now where you are, I would be a billionaire at least. But some men are driven by their own pride, their need to have something that really is not necessary for them to live. Live means to be filled with the abundance of God, to be able to disperse and to help other people encounter, know, and experience God. You don't need any more money in that. Then you need to live godly. Oh, friend, listen, live for your family. You're going, to, you're going to face God for that type of judgment. Live ministering for your talent. Don't let your work steal you or take the time from you for your family, for your involvement in your church and in the kingdom. Don't. If you hide from God, you'll be exposed right here. Don't hide from God. Don't hide your talent. Don't hide your time. Don't hide your motives. Live for God. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know when I started, but I perceive I better wrap up. Hallelujah. Gemini, hallelujah. This time right now ends God's time with the Gentiles. Now sets into motion the advancement of the clock. Boom. The time of God, the time of Israel, the time of unveiling, the time of the end. This chapter 7 on through is the time change of God. The time change of God. This is a revelation of things to come. This is the sovereign times of God. Really, the sovereign times of God have started right here. Why? Because Jesus and his resurrection and his glorification were sovereign designs of God for our redemption. This time frame right here is the sovereign time of God to deal with this church. Designed, a divine design to bring the church to perfection. And then this is a divine design of God. Mark the 13th chapter, verse 32 says, No man knoweth the time or the hour, not even the Son, when this will happen. The rapture of the church is a hidden time of God. And then this time frame from Revelation 7 down through Revelation 20 is a divine sovereign time declared by a God who knows the beginning from the end. A God that says, I will bring my purposes to pass and I will fulfill my pleasure. Isaiah 46, 10, 11, and 12. Hallelujah. Let me read this and then we're going to close. Mark, the 13th chapter. Hallelujah. And verse 9. And it says this. <clears throat> but take heed to yourselves, and they shall deliver you up to counsel. And in the synagogue ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before the rulers of kings for my sake, for a testimony against me. 
and the gospel must first be publicized among all nations, and when they shall lead you and deliver you, take up thou beforehand what ye shall speak. Take no thought beforehand, neither what ye shall premeditate, whatever you're going to say, it will be given to you in that hour what you shall speak, and it shall not be you that speaks, but the Holy Ghost that speaketh in you. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and to the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure until the end shall be saved. That portion of Scripture is not to the Gentile church. It is to Israel. It concerns Israel. The reason that we know that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ must be preached to all nations before God sets in motion the time of Israel. Setting in motion the time of Israel brings his time of the Gentiles to an end right here. But what we have to realize is that God is dealing with the church now. But when that time comes, then God will stop dealing with the church and awaken Israel to his dealings. Now, this is the time of Israel. It is not the time of the church, not the time to those that have died in Christ, but if you do not pay heed to this time here, if we reject this, we will miss this, and we will be in this. Hallelujah. And so we must judge ourselves, prepare ourselves. The bride is coming. And then it says this, but when ye shall see the abomination of the desolation of Daniel, spoken of by Daniel, desolation spoken by Daniel, the prophet, stand wherein it ought not. Let him that readeth understand. Let him that be in Judah flee to the mountains. Let him that is on the housetop go not down into the house, neither enter therein to take, to take things out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are without child and to them that give suck. I'm sorry, that are with child and those that give suck in that day. And pay, pray ye also that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation, which God created unto time, neither now. Listen, the affliction. Think about everything that every tragedy. Katrina, the great volcanoes that wiped out cities in the past, the storms that sank great ships, all of the plagues that hit planet Earth, all of those none of them will bring a cry from the earth as this time frame that Daniel's prophecy confirms will take place. And let him, and then it goes on down uh, to uh, verse 19, for in those days shall be affliction and not from the day, the beginning of creation, which God created unto his time, unto this time, unto this time, I'm sorry, neither shall be. And except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved that is the elect for the elect's sake and whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened those days. And then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, there he is and there he is, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets Prophets shall arise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. The elect is Israel. And, but take heed, take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you these things. Now, what does he say? Remember, he talks about a specific people, the elect, the nation of Israel. When the rapture takes place, 
God's time frame begins. Click, 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 click. It is the day of Israel. Israel then moves into a place that it has, as it were, kind of acceptance and peace up to three and a half years. When I say peace, I don't mean that nations are not going to hate them and being trying to destroy them, but they're going to have peace in a sense that it's not going to be like this. But when it hits this time frame right here, things will be loosed upon this earth that has never, ever been imagined even by Steven Spielberg on a good day. And these things will take place catastrophic, destructive, death and life destroying. Folks, it will be unbearable. Yet God will protect Israel. The reason I know that he says flee to the mountains. Get away from your homes. This doesn't happen to the rapture of the church. No, no, the rapture of the church comes when the voice of the archangel and the sound of a trumpet comes and we are changed no matter where we are, here or in the ground, we're going to be changed. But this time frame is a time of decision. And they will go and flee to the mountains. And then it says immediately, while he yet, I'm sorry, wrong, where am I here? Hallelujah. Oh, here I am, verse 28. Seven, and then wait, and 24, I'm sorry. But in those days, after the tribulation, and the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. Oh, and the stars of heaven shall fall. Can you imagine the destruction of the universe? And the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Remember, he comes here in the clouds, but nobody sees him. We hear him. Sound of the archangel, sound of the trumpet. Woo! We are changed. But here, he's going to come back at the end of these seven years, right here, and he's going to come right here, and he will be here for a thousand years. But he's coming. Come here, you. I'm telling you what. He's coming right here. He's coming in the millennium for a thousand years to reign upon this earth. Hallelujah. The, time, the end time of the tribulation. And then it says, this is the glory and the power. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect, talking about Israel, but in Israel now are Gentiles that have been here because they were too foolish to pay attention and repent here, but also Gentiles that have never heard the gospel before in their life. They're going to be saved. And so they will be among the elect. And it says, and likewise also, lo, lend us a prayer. Okay. There's you gotta find this. I'm sorry. And uh I get to talking here and then they say parable. And then ye shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he you'll see his angels, and they shall gather the elect, and from the four winds from the uttermost parts of the earth to the uttermost parts of heaven. Now learn this parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and put forth her leaf, ye shall know the summer is near. So ye in likewise manner know that when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Now, do you remember the fig tree? The fig tree was blooming but it had no fruit. That was a representative of those that were supposed to serve God. 
We are here, the green fig tree. This is where God judges Israel for not bearing fruit. And then it says these words. Now learn the parable of the fig tree that when her branch is yet tender and put forth leaves, ye know that it is summer. So likewise, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh time at the doors. That means simply this, that Israel here will be blind to the work of the Antichrist. But when Israel in three and a half years in the seven-year period of time known as the seven weeks of Daniel, right here in the middle of it, three and a half years in, bang. When they see those things coming right here, the abomination of the desolation of the Holy of Holies, when the Antichrist enters in to the holy place of the tabernacle of David, he will then set off another time frame Another three and a half years. Tribulation has such as never been known. Israel will recognize when you see the abomination, the desolation of Daniel right here, it is time for you to pack up and flee. Don't try to fight the Antichrist. Don't try to deny him a place because you will not win. Run to the shelters, to the mountains from whence your help cometh. Then it says this, uh, so like manners when you see these things come to pass, you know that it is high even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation, that generation when these things right here go into motion, that generation shall not pass till all the things be done. In other words, there's nothing that is going to stop this time period or that time period Remember, it's a sovereign decree of God, and nothing will stop his sovereign will. And then it says this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of the day and of that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Hallelujah. Take ye heed. Watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not the hour of the master of the house cometh, or even at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, least coming suddenly, he shall find you sleeping. And what I say unto one, I say to you all. In other words, Jesus preaches to the Jerusalem or to Israel in, the, in his ministry, but then he says, know this, these are signs and times to be known of the Gentiles. And the only time that we do not know is this that sets into motion this. But I tell you that, this, we are here, right here. Prepare to meet your God. Hallelujah. Prepare to meet your God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, hallelujah. Let me pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're a backslider. You've heard me say, maybe you haven't, but I don't care how you got backslid. I don't care what kind of sin you're in. I really don't care. But I know what's important. Come unto him, you that are heavy laden. Those of you that have tasted and saw that the Lord is good, come home. If you've never been a Christian tonight, you do not know Jesus Christ, I've got good news for you. You can come here to prepare for here and miss this. If you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. The only thing that can save you from your sins is the blood of Jesus Christ, Revelations 
1 through 8. The only thing that can save you from this time period, this wrath, this un, unimaginable destruction, annihilation, apocalypse, is only the blood of Jesus Christ. And you get saved, you stay saved. Don't become wishwashed. You don't jump in, don't jump out. Pick up your faith, live your faith. Join yourself to the family of faith. Get involved right here at this church and stay connected. Find your destiny, your purpose, and do what God's called you to do. Now, if that's you today and you're a sinner, you're a backslider here, please come forward right now. Come forward right now so that we can pray for you and pray with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If there's anyone out there that, that wants to accept Jesus Christ. While they're coming and they're going to pray for him, I want to thank all you saints. You understand that, you know, we, we have these things that we have to do because we're going to the world. I'm preaching with you right now in your stead in New Jersey at Agape Church with Pastor Lawrence Powell. I'm preaching to his people. We're laying hands on the sick maybe about this time. Miracles are happening. People are being set free. How grateful we are that we are part, not just our little isolated island, but we are part of a church bigger than we are and a purpose bigger than ours and a God that is bigger than us. Thank you. I'll see you Sunday morning. I'm going into part three, the greatest revelation that God has ever given me. Hey, I love you. We'll see you Sunday.